0: Welcome, everyone, back to the broadcast. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA Beach Volleyball and Baseball site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And I'm joined by Tracy Pearson. Tracy, how does it feel to be covering... Uh, the to be num- the publisher of, of Beach
1: Volleyball Report Online.
0: I know. And, I mean, look at it. We've, so, UCLA one number 117. Is that right? This past week? 117. 117? In, in Beach Volleyball. Obviously, uh, one of the one of the primary sports at UCLA, and they're number
1: one in baseball. Why and they- number, number two in softball
0: too? I mean, come on, come on! And they
1: were just number one in, in softball not too long ago.
0: Not too long so, ago.
1: Um, it's and it's- the way they won that beach volleyball championship too. They are ranked number one. USC. I, I, I mean, they had. I, you know what? I don't know all the specifics of beach volleyball, but I know USC was undefeated in one phase of a match for a long time. They beat UCLA in the uh, in the conference championship, so they flopped number one and number two. Then going into this championship, I, I guess UCLA just played out of their minds and won. So that was that's amazing. That's, that's back really to
0: back. That's back to back,
1: back titles back. in beach volleyball. Um, and, and you know, UCLA would still be number one if. Stanford didn't, you know, have a team in every single end. I mean, I think they've won, like, 14 Tiddlywinks championships or something, right?
0: Yeah, I think if you're probably looking at it from, like, a rate analysis, like how UCLA does compared to how many sports it's fielding, I think you're probably going to have UCLA edging ahead of Stanford. There's no, like, scholarship UCLA sailing team, for example. (laughs)
1: Exactly. I mean, um, I think what UCLA has like twenty something teams, and Stanford has forty or something, something
0: like that. So yeah, come on, Stanford, you're gaming the system. It's Game crap. In the system. It's absolute crap. Um, but as you know, thirty
1: six varsity teams. That's what Stanford
0: has. That's nuts. How many does UCLA have?
1: Uh, talk amongst yourselves.
0: <laughs> uh, UCLA uh, twenty two. Twenty two. Come on. Come yeah. on. All right. 22. So we need, we need to do some more in-depth counting here because clearly it's off. It needs to be a rate analysis. UCLA is dominant relative to the number of sports it has. And clearly that dominance begins with beach volleyball and baseball. That is where UCLA shines. Baseball team uh, just cranked out a series victory over ASU. Another very good Pac-12 team. They're they're on top of the world. They've been number one for like six weeks, seven weeks, something like that now. And, um, and
1: that's really uncommon. You, you just uh, – in college baseball, there are number ones like flipping like every couple of weeks it seems like. And that is a long stretch. I, I mean I know there are probably some teams out there that have held on to that number one spot for just as long in NCAA baseball history. But easily the longest for a UCLA baseball team and probably – the longest for a Pac-12 team for a while, maybe Stanford. Back yeah, in the day. Stanford exactly. again comes up again, always with
0: the Stanford, always like, you with the it's Stanford. Like
1: it's like Newman, yeah, Stanford.
0: Yeah. Always with the Stanford, um, yeah, and UCLA. Um, they're actually so. Look, I, I I'm a big John Savage aficionado. I covered his first team at UCLA as a uh, member of the Daily Bruin. Uh, been a yeah. longtime watcher, observer. It's it. It hasn't always been fun to watch, even when they've been really good. It's very pitching, defense, maybe not like super statistically aware baseball um, from our man. Um, and it's been good. It's been very good. He's a very good pitching coach, so he generally turns out really good pitchers. But this year's team actually has an offense. Oh my, you could say they have an offense. Yeah, they just are like, <laughs> they not, they're not winning by playing small ball. The no, they're crushing teams, and they're pitching really well. So um, this, even more than that 2013 uh, College World Series winner, um, looks like it has the makings of a truly dominant team. Now, obviously, baseball is very, you know, s- s- sample size can, can deceive, and there's certainly a chance that they just get bounced in a regional or a super regional. But uh, this is very clearly the best team Savage has had um, in his time at UCLA.
1: Yeah, it'd be one of those things that you know uh, they are you know they're the they're the big dog, and you're going into like the NCAA tournament. You would think that you're just waiting for them to trip up. It's one of the it's that situation, which I don't like. I, I'd rather come in rank second to fourth and just feeling that you can you know you're you're going to upset someone. But anyway, well, t- I mean we're not really. We're not really arguing about this. We'll 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 take the, this is an excellent team and it's really fun to watch. I saw them one time this year, and if you watch them, it's just like you, you have when you're watching the game. You just kind of have no doubt they're going to win. <laughs> oh
0: yeah,
1: it's like it's like that. They're they're well, dominant on you know on offense and defense.
0: Well, Tracy, when you score eighteen runs in a game against a very good team, it'll do it. You know, yeah. like they did yeah. it on Saturday against Um yeah.
1: And they swept, didn't they? Let's say it. They swept Stanford, didn't they? They won two of
0: three. Oh, they Stanford. won two of three. They're, yeah, three. yeah. Damn. So that's the yeah. true dominance good, right though. there. I don't. I, yeah. I don't even know if they've lost a series this year. I don't think they have. Yeah, they haven't lost a series this year.
1: Yeah.
0: What, what's the record? They're tw- uh Thirty. They're thirty-seven and eight. Twenty. And eight. Uh, yeah, and sixteen and five in conference.
1: And th- this was a big series because they, even though they're ranked number one, they need a. The last couple of series were key in them leading towards them winning the Pac-12. So that's pretty big.
0: Yep. Um, but this is uh, very much the state of UCO Athletics here in May, year of our Lord, 2019. Uh, baseball we,
1: reporting online.
0: We we do baseball reporting. We do beach volleyball reporting. We are open to anything uh, because it is obviously the doldrums um, for football and basketball and also, um, you know, yep you know, Maybe hasn't been the the most wonderful couple of decades for either of those. But whatever. Hey, you know what? Onward and upward. Uh, not
1: coincidental at all, Dave, that it's the exact 20 years that bro has been in existence. It's it's not our fault.
0: Maybe you caused it. Who knows?
1: Oh, you're blaming just me. It, it has nothing to do with you either. No, no. I don't okay. think I had anything okay. to
0: do with it. Um, okay. So just- all right. So we do have to talk some football and basketball as much as we would obviously like to focus all of our attention on, uh, you mean group. the minor
1: sports? Yeah,
0: exactly. We would love the non- to the non-revenue sports. <laughs> for whatever reason, you people seem to really enjoy the basketball and football coverage. So I guess we'll devote some time to that here. Um, okay. That's so Mick Cronin, Mick Cronin, yeah. our man, um, who was hired last month. Um, he uh, made his second assistant hire, um, Pulling in Rod Palmer, who was most recently at San Diego State. Before that, was at Long Beach State. Coached Aaron Aflalo in high school. Yeah, that's yeah, that's a connection right there. Uh, so, what do you feel about this hire? How familiar are you with uh, with Palmer, and uh, what what do you think he brings to the table?
1: You know, it's really interesting because that's that's how I knew him was that he coached Aaron Aflalo, and that's how old I am. Um, uh, back in back in that day when compton centennial was a bit of a power and it was just so much fun to go out and watch aaron play just since we're kind of touched aaron started out i mean we first saw him when he was a sophomore and he was just like a 6-2 chubby point guard <laughs> and he just worked his ass off so uh, yeah got a you know aaron a follow still one of our favorite guys but um yeah, Ron's had an interesting, an interesting career. He, he was at Long Beach State for a very long time. San Diego State for the last year. He's very close with A-Tope, uh Udoema. I, I, I never even use his last name. It's just always Atop. I thought
0: that was good enough.
1: Thank you. Um, who is the owner-organizer of Compton Magic, which has grown into one of the biggest... AU teams in Southern California. A lot of recent UCLA players played at Compton Magic. Uh, if you didn't see Atop and Rod are really close. I think Atop was like the best man at his wedding. They were roommates uh, at where was it Irvine, right? Where they played at Irvine. Isn't that where he transferred? Yeah. Uh, so it's always good to have that connection to um, you know a major AU team in Southern California, there's always a question of you can't be beholding to them and you need to be able to use that relationship to your advantage without compromising yourself in any way. So there's always that uh, we had discussed uh, or I had written about it. I'm getting that all mixed up how sometimes if you hire, you know, there are, whenever a coach is hired a head coach, there's always the AU coaches, local AU coaches that want to place one of their guys with you. And there's always the question of whether it's, it's worth it to get one of his guys because that will give you an advantage for all of the guys that come through his AAU program, but you're going to piss off other AAU guys. So is it better just to be neutral, piss them off all a little bit and hire someone who's not affiliated or, or hire just one guy? I think this was probably a good move if you're talking politically in the Southern California AAU scene because... The other kind of one of the other handful of big AU teams is uh, West Coast Elite Basketball, um, which is an Under Armour program. So that's kind of you got to be affiliated there no matter what, right? I mean, there's always going to be some kind of an association between you know the AU uh, team that and. and the shoe company that is funding the AAU team and the shoe company that's sponsoring the school. Not saying there's anything illegal, but there's always that connection. Kid comes in, he's got Under Armour on since he was 12 years old. He's hearing, seeing everything about Under Armour, you know. And yeah, it's completely it's brand, brand of a,
0: loyalty. It has nothing yeah, to do with anything else. It's just, hey, right. I like wearing Adidas. I'm going to wear Adidas the rest of my life. Right,
1: yeah. And so... <laughs> you couldn't get through that without chuckling, right? So then there's that, and then Rod Palmer, who was associated with uh, the Compton Magic, which has always been Adidas. Um, but so I, I think that was kind of played well. We still have one more opening, and I can't tell at this point who would be leading for that last spot, because uh, Mick is absolutely doing his due diligence. He's talked to a lot of people. Um, So, I don't know if they're actually close right now. That was kind of on my to do list (laughs) this week to find out who would be, you know, the real finalist for that third spot on the staff.
0: What do you think the, I mean, from a qualitative standpoint, like what qualities do you think should they prioritize in this third assistant? Is given the makeup of the other couple of guys, is it prioritize still more recruiting? Is it getting a workout guy? Like, what's the, what do you think that it should be?
1: Uh, that's a that's a good question. Uh, Darren Savino, I, I don't know Darren. I'm not that familiar with him. But from what I've heard from people who do, he's not only a good recruiter, but he's a really solid coach too. Um, uh, I don't, I don't think you're going to go out if you're Mick Cronin. I think, you know, you, you got this UCLA job because you're pretty confident in your own coaching abilities. Then you got your right hand guy who's been with you for a long time and associate head coach. You're confident in his coaching abilities. Um, I don't think. I, I think it makes more sense to go after someone who, first and foremost, to fill that last spot, has a reputation as being a, a good recruiter, rather than trying to fill some hole in your coaching, because that's just that's kind of a long shot if you're actually going to find that, unless it's someone you know. Coach Cronin is absolutely familiar with, and would fill a certain hole he perceives in his own coaching. So I think they'll still go after a West coast recru- recruiter because Savino isn't, he's from the East coast. Uh, Rod Palmer, even though he, he is known to have some connections, he's not one of those guys that's just always present on the West coast recruiting scene. He's not necessarily, you know, one of those guys that, that he, he has his connections. He's got his connections to Compton magic. But he's not necessarily the guy who you say is everywhere. So I, I think they still need uh, an accomplished West Coast recruiter. and um, Or an accomplished recruiter, put it that way. Yeah, too. just
0: kind of generally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, okay, so that is the new assistant hire. Um, but obviously they're still trying to fill one of these spots, one of these roster spots for next year. Um, and it looks like they'll have – so at present they have one available. Right. And they, at that, at this point, does that look like it's going to hold, or do we think there's still potential for a grad transfer out?
1: Yeah, it's too hard. It's too hard to tell. I, um, there are a lot of possibilities, but there isn't necessarily one that looks really, really, you know, likely. But there are a lot that are kind of promising. Um, uh, Boogie Ellis, the San Diego combo guard who was committed, um, to Duke decommitted. And the assumption is that Memphis would be his leader because they, it was between Memphis and Duke when he chose Duke. Um, But there's some things, you know, you you put some dots together, connect some dots. Rod Palmer spent the last year in San Diego. Boogie Ellis is from San Diego. Uh, It's kind of a really good fit. Um, i heard you know he wasn't going to duke just because he wasn't completely comfortable going in there with how much talent there is at duke he he could find ucla a better fit um, but you know he's a uh, i think he's ranked like 27th in the country so <clears throat> it's it's really hard for any program like this is why so many people are are just defaulting and saying well memphis because when it's a top 30 guy in the country he has a lot of people who are kind of his handlers from his parents to his au coaches to high school coaches his trainers and that's all just well established and they have well-established relationships with people who have probably been recruiting this kid for a year so ucla mick cronin without any connection comes in and says hey how you doing boogie Come on in, you know. So it's kind of starting from square one when everyone's already been there for a long time. Um, so that's that's a challenge there. Uh, if we're talking about other options, uh, like I wrote, if something happens at Arizona, and for whatever reason, the number one point guard in the country, Nico Mannion, is let out of his um, NLI. I have it on pretty good authority. He would immediately – UCLA would be one of his top considerations. You tell me now what – because you're on top of this and I'm not as much as you. What's going to happen in Arizona?
0: I just think it's such a personal tragedy um, when, <laughs> when someone – That was, that was snort worthy. When someone is alleged, alleged to have personally paid a recruit and still, still has never made a Final Four. Like that's just, I mean, I think that's a personal tragedy, you know, and I, I, my empathy, Who, whose personal tragedy are you talking about? I, I'm just saying, I'm saying theoretically in a hypothetical world where these allegations are in fact reality, it is a personal tragedy. Um, and yeah, I,
1: I, but I want you to analyze both sides for me. The, the one side that says Sean Miller is guilty is based on recent evidence that came to light. That his assistant coach, Book
0: Richardson, testified that, or uh, uh, was on, on wire on wiretaps that uh, that his uh, that 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 Sean Miller was paying people.
1: Hey, my head coach has that taken care of. He's going to take care. Of, so you know, along those lines.
0: Yeah. Now
1: that looks pretty damning. On the other side, there's the line of thinking that what you put in credibility in Book Richardson just because he said it doesn't mean it's necessarily true. I mean, and and how. How much credibility does the FBI put in that? How much credibility does the NCA put in that kind of, that wiretap evidence? What the NCA, it just came out, has opened an investigation in Arizona's program, as we thought would be inevitable. But, I mean, Dave, you know this pretty well. Do you think Sean Miller is going to be fired or
0: resign? I think Arizona has pressed itself up so far against this wall that I think... The administration there is going to do everything they can not to fire Sean Miller. Reading all the like tea leaves on this, that's where it looks right now. But I think ultimately, I mean, it's going to come down to their will, the public will, how much public gets, because it hasn't really seemed that there have been a ton of consequences for coaches who have been caught up in this FBI thing. I mean, at the end of the day, Will Wade, that LSU guy, he's still coaching there. Um, Bill Stealth, Bill still still at uh, still at Kansas. Um, there just haven't been that many consequences and maybe it's just, there's a long tail to this whole thing, or maybe it's just with the way news cycles are this, now you just weather the storm for a little bit. The NCAA seems more toothless than it ever has been. Um, and you just let it go. Um, I still think it's way too early to say whether he's gone or not. Um, I have to separate with this one. I have to separate my own like personal schadenfreude and, um, like an actual, I don't think any of this is bad. Whatever, pay a kid. I don't give a shit. Like, it's fine. Um, but, um, you know, my, my, my schadenfreude is well, this is just fun and hilarious to watch. And all the Arizona fans and, and whatnot, um, you know, tying themselves into knots to try to pretend that Sean Miller didn't pay people. I'm like, come on. Come on. Anybody who's coaching at a high level, anybody who's recruiting at a high level, and I'm not going to talk about specifics here, but you're cheating. I mean, a little, a lot. Can go anywhere on that spectrum, but you're cheating. That's just the nature of this business. And okay,
1: it's... so in that context right there, because I didn't want you to move on because I, I needed so with the decommitment of Boogie Ellis from Duke, who who do you, which program has the number one recruiting class for two thousand and nineteen currently?
0: Ooh. Who is it? Let's see. Arizona. Arizona. Is that right?
1: Number one. Yep. Huh. Hmm. So I mean, just, just speculating, let's say we take what you're saying is true that, you know, Arizona, that schools cheat. Let's say that, you know, the assumption that Arizona cheated. Now I'm just playing both sides here. Did Arizona, is Arizona have this number one recruiting class? I mean, they are now under the microscope while they're recruiting this class. Did they not cheat and have the number one class? Or is it business as usual and they're actually cheating while they're under this microscope?
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I think those are questions that someone can ask. I think those are important questions. More to the point, if we're talking about the reality of it, um, yeah, almost certainly. First, I mean, because everybody cheats. Second, um, at whatever level, I mean, whatever. Um, And again, I I am a longstanding not caring about cheating thing. But um, if you look at it from... Well, you only
1: only have to care about it for the... Potential ramifications. I know morally and ethically
0: you don't care, but you have to care and, and think about it. From, given a, from a discharging the duties of your job standpoint, you have to be good at it, which means no, you don't get but caught. But I'm saying
1: also the ramifications if you get caught.
0: Yeah, yeah that's, that's what I'm the, saying is you have to be good enough that you don't get caught. So yeah. the fact that Sean Miller is maybe in the process of getting caught means he's done, failed in some very basic aspect of his job. Um, so looking at that, And this is the thing where I think it becomes interesting is these prospects, you know, Nico Mannion, Josh Green, um, so on and so forth. They have to then consider, okay, what are the chances that this, however this plays out, ends up with, you know, uh, real issues for this season for Arizona basketball? Is it still worth it for me to go there or should I open up my options now with this kind of investigation looming over everything. Like well, the,
1: I, from their standpoint, that, that's exactly the question. They're thinking, is Arizona gonna get hit with NCAA sanctions? You'd I mean you'd have to assume yes, regardless of Sean Miller. I mean Book Richardson, the NCAA is gonna find something there. And it's a question of when that comes down and by when. But here's the other thing. I I would love to be able to go to Vegas and bet on this that Nico Mannion doesn't care long-term about that. He's a one and done. He's going to the NBA that that's what he thinks in his mind along with Josh green, who absolutely, if you've seen Josh green play. Um, So do they care? I I don't think they care. You know, what's it going to do to them? Yeah, They're, they're one and done anyway. Maybe it takes away their ability to win a national championship in that one year that they're there, but they'll still have the showcase to display their NBA talents, right?
0: Yeah, but you have to live in Tucson for a year. Hey, I,
1: I, for whatever reason, every you know, the Arizona program has been able to re- recruit to Tucson. So, I, I
0: think it's despite, despite Tucson. And again, it goes back to our earlier discussion about every top program cheating.
1: And that's the other thing. That's the other question I want to talk about do, I mean, we've talked about it on the board for 20 years, just saying, guys, you know, it's a dirty business. I'm not going to get into specifics about how programs have cheated, but it's a dirty business. There's a lot of cheating going on. And for, I, it's really a weird fan kind of mentality where they go out in the real world and their real jobs, they're lawyers and, and they see all the corruption and cheating, but then they come back to their beloved college basketball, and they think it's all, you know, straight and honest. And this is like this is not like any other business. This is a more corrupt business by people, far. People,
0: people turn off their. I, 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 well, I think there, there are two different types of people: those who are like kind of super critical about stuff, and those who just kind of, you know, they, they consume it. Um, yeah. first. But then also, I think even people who are otherwise critical and, and use all of their critical faculties with other things, like with things like sports, but also pop culture, they just turn off their critical faculties. Um, and they're just like, yeah, I'm just going to consume this and enjoy it. And they, they don't take all the hard won lessons that you learn throughout life to and apply them to this. Like, hey, lots of people are incompetent. Um, so these coaches of these teams there's probably a good chance they're very incompetent. Um, that's, the, that's the other thing. You're right. That's where they suspend their, their disbelief. There yeah, too. and with all this stuff, and they suspend their disbelief about the cheating because they also, I think a lot of people take their childhood um, feelings about sports and they don't really, uh, they don't get advanced at any point and it's just, oh, I'm rooting for this team because they're my team and I don't, I don't, you know, I don't need to worry about this stuff and they're the enemy so, you know, don't, don't have to worry about that either. You know, I know I know who to root for and who to root for, root against, and they don't think about it any, you know, much beyond that. Um, so I
1: used to have a friend who was a, a detective, his detective in the Bay Area in San Francisco, and he had like a master's in, in criminology or something. He was this really well-respected detective, and we'd talk like twice a year, and he'd call me up, and, I'd, and even he was in disbelief of how people cheated in college basketball.
0: Yeah. Well, but the thing is, and I I think this is where, uh, because people, I think they also equate cheating with you know bad or it's evil or whatever, and I I don't know. I think that came out of like weird movies and things from like the 1980s. But um, it's it's an essential part of the job. Like I mean, I would say it's it's not like the most important thing in recruiting to be able to do that well, but it's like up there. Like, you got to be able to figure this out at some point if you're going to coach, like, a super elite team. And that's just right. really kind of the truth of the matter. And um, that
1: leads to this question, Dave. Sure. Is this really going to change the modus operandi of college basketball recruiting?
0: Um, I So I don't know. So it seems very individual-focused, from what I can tell, which I don't think changes the name of the game at the end of the day. I think if it was... If there was going to be, and maybe this is still to come, I I, I don't know. I haven't been following the whole thing broadly. So I, I don't know, but I don't think they've been attacking like the basis of Adidas or the basis of Nike and the whole entire grassroots business model. Um, and maybe that's coming with these investigations. I don't know. Um, well,
1: here here's the one thing about it, though. I, I, it has to be at least, okay, so assistant coaches have been basically operating what with impunity for years and years and years. This has to send a little bit of a scary cautionary tale to them. If I, if I cheat like the way I've been cheating, I could be, you know, yeah. But on the other hand, this, this infrastructure, the way this whole business is so ingrained so deeply this is the way everyone does it <laughs> i mean it would be like you'd have to change the entire way it's done from au teams to sneaker companies to you know it's just the way it's it's the way it's done mostly well and, 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 and,
0: and it,
1: how do you change that
0: what well, yeah. It creates it, it creates an even greater ethical issue, and I think this is part of—well, not part of why, but I think it's concurrently the NBA pursuing the idea of opening up everything to 18-year-olds again. Um, it, for the top prospects, it did—you know, this one year of college, it did provide a, a somewhat minor relative to what they'll get in the NBA, but it did provide some form of salary for that one gap year between high yeah. school and, and the NBA— if you take a if you take that away or diminish it to some extent, which is what this FBI investigation is doing you 're actually doing a relative harm to uh, the end result is it's going to be a relative harm to whatever the top fifty to a hundred uh college basketball prospects every year who might otherwise have had a chance to make some real money um, and i don 't know i i, I but, uh, what
1: i 'm saying is these these assistant coaches this is what they do. you have now taken.
0: Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah, you've taken away their skill set. This is what they do. They they don't necessarily have the skill set. It's like a completely different
0: job. Now. Yeah. Well, they actually have to <laughs> so, build relationships with the kids.
1: <laughs> I just don't think it changes. I think maybe it's kind of you, you know, it all kind of lays low for a while, but I don't think it can change. I I it's just it's 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 what the industry is.
0: Yeah, I think I, what you'll find is they'll they'll I mean, there'll be a lot, I think for the smart ones, there'll be a lot fewer phone conversations. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, But I mean, I I think at the end of the day, it's going to be more or less business as usual. I just don't, it just doesn't seem to have harmed anybody. I mean, any of the actual players in the game all that much yet. Any of the big time guys. So,
1: so we went a little off track. You, you still, I guess you kind of implied that you're thinking Arizona will not fire Sean Miller.
0: Yeah, I would. I would. Right now, I would say no. I say they don't. Um, they've stuck with them this long. I think they've gone down this road so far now that um, turning back would probably lead to some admin changes there. Um, so I don't. I, I don't think so. Unless the the robust academic side at Arizona decides that it's had enough of this bad publicity, but I don't know if. So they.
1: So they hang on to him and they just suffer the consequences of whatever NCA sanctions come out of the NCAA investigation. I mean, so, the thing
0: is, the NCAA, I think you would let it play out at this point um, because they've already kind of, they denied an NCAA investigation before they finally admitted to it. Like, they've already done the things where if they really wanted to throw themselves on the sword to get less than sanctions, they would have fired him a year ago. Um, right. So they haven't done any of that yeah. stuff yet. So I think they're probably thinking, okay, we'll see how this investigation goes. If it's just he said, she said you know, we're, we're probably fine. Um, yeah, and if it's, they,
1: they need, they're looking for like a, a smoking cannon.
0: Right. Is what they're looking for. Yeah. yeah. And, to, and at this point any- that doesn't, I, I'm not seeing that yet. So we will, uh, yeah. we will certainly see.
1: So back to UCLA, there is, I have made kind of, you know, allusions to, there's another guy out there that could be someone who fills that last scholarship. I might be finding out about that, uh, Fairly soon, maybe this week. Um, I mean, I can, and, I,
0: can, I, can, I can finally let you know um, I am out yeah. of eligibility. So y- you can cross that, that unknown name off the list.
1: Because James Harden <laughs> was looking to go beard against beard. I know. Is what it was. I know. I know.
0: But, uh, you know, I just.
1: He would be so transfixed by your beard, you would just be able to, like, cross him over and you're by him.
0: Yeah, I think so. I think that's yeah. right. I think that's, that's right. Um, yeah.
1: But it will be, I think, I think he wants, I think Mick wants a, um, a guard combo guard, as I've written and said many times, it's hard to get a grad transfer. You can't say no across the board because there might randomly be some guy who wants, I mean, there's a lot of criteria. He's, he has to be a real student. Um, he has to actually get admitted into a UCLA grad program, and like the education program is the one-year program, but that is a real program <laughs> too. It's not like some throwaway program. That that's a real grad program. Um, and then you have to, you know, it it just the guy himself, his skill set, how good he is, it all has to be a perfect fit. And there's just there isn't a big pool out there for. I think just if you just Use the criteria, a good student who could get into a UCLA grad program, you might, illumin- you might, you know, drain the entire pool.
0: Yeah.
1: If we're using the analogy. That was, metaphor. That
0: was, that um, was beautiful.
1: It's saying to me. So so there's that. Um, there's Dacian Nix, who has a remote chance of maybe reclass... So he'd have to reclassify and commit to UCLA. So a couple of big steps. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a guy who you actually saw because he was playing during the Nike EYBL in Atlanta. He was playing out in, what's that little, some,
0: what is it, Marietta? He was playing in beautiful Marietta, Georgia. Right the, around the, the corner. Home of, the home of? The home of David Woods. There you go. Um, hmm. So I, I went around the corner to check out uh, Dasha. How
1: far was that from your house?
0: Uh, it was like a few three miles. miles as the crow flies, about 10 hmm. minutes driving. Um, so it was. It was nice, close.
1: Yeah, and I, I, you didn't, you didn't even know it. Like over a week, and I said, "Hey, Dave."
0: Well, I was like, I was like, I was, I was like, I had like social functions that day, and you were like, "Hey, it, like, is the you're, it, you're it, in a wedding? <laughs> yeah. Were you in the wedding or just no, go no, to no, the wedding?" Attending. Oh, um, you told me you were
1: in it. See, see. Did I really? <laughs> no, you
0: didn't. Oh, um, so yeah, it was. Um, but yeah, anyway, it was uh, an opportunity to go check this guy out. Um, so I saw him Saturday night, which is, look, when we're, if I'm casting my memory back to the days when I used to hit up this stuff all weekend, Saturday night's not usually the best stuff. Like, you're not seeing their these kids at their height. Like, usually they're getting kind of tired by that point. Um, and a little short. they've played a lot of games. Yeah. Um, so I saw him kind of at the end, so just that caveat, but, um... Yeah, I mean, he's got some good qualities. He's clearly got some good vision. Uh, He's got a nice feel. Um, He did some kind of cool touch passes and stuff. Like, he's clearly, he knows his way around the ball. He knows where guys are on the court. He's got good court sense, all that kind of stuff. I wasn't super impressed with him physically. He's big and strong, which I generally just don't love in a high school junior. I like guys, especially at point guard, I like guys who are a little bit more light, a little bit you know, move a little bit better side to side, a little quicker, a little more agile. He's not that kind of kid. He's more kind of the big, strong, tough, you know, beat, beat you up kind of guard. He seemed to play some right. defense a little bit, um, which is always, you know, worth seeing in an AAU environment. Um He had th- those same kind of offensive instincts. They did kind of show up on the defensive end. He was able to poke balls away, you know, kind of that clever stuff that we you know, Lonzo Ball wasn't a good defender at UCLA, but he, you know, he knew how to poke balls away and that sort of stuff. That was kind of the same feel I got from Knicks. Um, and he, his his shots okay. It's a set shot. He needs to get a, probably a little bit more loft on that whole thing and, and jump a little bit higher. But um, yeah, all in all, he's fine. I mean, I, I would, I, I think, you know, you know, it's
1: funny. He's the number one ranked point guard in the country for 2021.
0: And I and I agree
1: with you from what I've only I haven't seen him in person. Just seen him on, on tape. And and I see why that's the case. For one thing, point guard is just there. It's a diminishing species. <laughs> it's it's on the list of you know of endangered. Um, so it's it's desperation out there to find a point guard. But he has a really good sense. He's got a great ball sense and court vision. But he's big. He's kind of thickish, right? Yeah. He's, he's on the thickish side, and he's not greatly quick so i think you have to envision him more like kyle anderson kind of guy you know he what he's about six five six four six five yeah
0: i would say he's on the lower end of six five but he i mean he's got some height to him right
1: so it's a different style he's not going to do it with quickness i I think his biggest challenge in college will be who does he who does he match up with on the defensive end he's he's not is he going to be able to guard a quick six one point guard or you know, do you have some? Do you have a, you know, do you you put David Singleton on him on the on the point guard? I think that's the biggest challenge from what I saw and watching enough tape and watching your tape.
0: Yeah, I think that's what I would what I would want is to pair him with a two who's like six two and can guard anybody. So basically, yeah, David Singleton. Um, but and and you know, I think he's got the ball skill. I think he's got the offensive skill set to be a a, a nice college point guard. And the good thing I like about him is that he isn't that elite athlete, like, counterintuitively. But he doesn't, like, I know he's the number one point guard in the country, sure, but he's he really doesn't look like a one-and-done to me. Um, he's a three-year guy? Yeah, two years. I mean, it's UCLA, yeah. so a three-year guy becomes a two-year guy because it's UCLA. But, um, yeah, I, I see him more as as that. And, again, this is off watching a little bit of tape and then watching, you know, him in one game, so... Take it all with a grain of salt, but yeah i don't i i he doesn't look like one and done to me um you know gershon's analysis which I generally agree with um he has him as a second rounder, and generally you're not seeing second rounders go one and done um so yeah um but anyway yeah if 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 he reclassified, I think he's a take um i, I think if you can't get it, it, so the the what are we land the percentage chance that he reclassifies um i I only all I was
1: told. There's a there's a chance he'll class, reclassify. That's yeah. all I've been. T- that's all of my information on the subject.
0: So I don't know if I would like wait around for Nico Mannion forever. If he does re- if Nick's does reclassify and you can take him. Yeah. I mean, if you can't get Boogie Ellis, basically, I, I think I'd probably take Boogie just from what I've seen um, over Nick's. Um, but if you can't get him, I
1: don't I- think you wait for Mannion at all unless you hear something from yeah, a no Mannion chance. source that yeah that he's getting out of his NLI.
0: Yeah. yeah, so I think if he if he reclassifies, he's a take. You're, you're it's it, you're you're so desperate for point guard help next year because you've got Tiger Campbell coming off an ACL, you've got David Singleton coming off a foot injury. I mean, you need another guy. So if if there's right. some chance that he can do it, that'd be great. And and in 2020, the complexion of the entire thing could change depending on who goes pro and who leaves. So they could have many scholarships available. So probably a take yeah. then anyway. So yeah, a take right. nonetheless. I would just. I don't know if – basically this is some context for people. You see number one point guard in the country. Just have have a little bit of context with that statement because I don't think he's what a lot of people would envision for number one point guard in the country. Right. You're usually thinking 6'2 to 6'3 and lightning quick. Super quick. And he's just – he's not that guy. He's more of the vision, you know, a little bit slow, that sort of deal. A 6'5 Kyle Anderson. Yeah, that's fine. I think that's good. Um all the right, other
1: it, exciting thing recruiting wise is is that thing u c l a does every month it's uh, it
0: <laughs> you're not hiding your i'm still so much on the boat that this is the dumbest thing ever but please let's let's it's talk.
1: actually working so i understand you your personal sensibility it it doesn't Uh, But uh, in what
0: sense is it working, Tracy? Is it in the sense that, yes, they are offering people on the 8th, and yes, some guys are tweeting out their offers on that day?
1: I think it's getting a little... I I think, personally, it's generating a little bit more attention towards UCLA's recruiting in in recruiting circles. I I do. I think there's a little bit of, you know, talk about who might get something or... I, I think it generally you know parents kids are thinking about who might get offered by such school but now there's more of a focus kind of interest on for UCLA over it let's just say that no i agree it's i i don't i don't necessarily think it's a big thing it's it's just a completely you know manufactured
0: You know what? It's fine because I thought it was going to be actively detrimental and it's turning out to be completely innocuous and that's fine. Right. Exactly. Exactly.
1: But and we get a we get two more pieces of content on bro because of it. (laughs) And as we've talked about, we are in the doldrums and actually it's probably not we're doing the guys we're anticipating or we're guessing who get, who could get offered on and then we're saying the guys who did and usually we're doing like one story per offer per guy so actually we're getting less content I take that back but it's still kind of fun to sit around you know our, our recruiting guy who I, I don't know I need to come up with a good title for Patrick he's not recruiting you know his recruiting obsession is a deep one i mean he will you know text or email brandon and i and said did you see this guy some guy he watched on he watched on huddle some semi obscure guy and most of the time he found he finds these guys you know but
0: so what you're saying is he's a lot like me you know just loves recruiting so much loves covering every inch of it like me
1: I'm waiting for you to go. Tracy, are you still there?
0: <laughs>
1: yes, you guys, you guys are like twins. Yeah, very much I so. I mean, if you shaved your beard, you guys would be twins. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I just, everyone needs also appreciate how much work it takes to do a couple of things, to, to run down where all the UCLA coaches have been. I mean, that is scouring all social media and reaching out. I'm not going to say sliding into the DM because I so hate that. Brandon knows I hate that saying. So he says it at every opportunity, but it's using social media to go out and see if, you know, someone tweeted something or to contact various people, just basically going out fishing. You know, if we know a coach is in the Phoenix area, okay, well he's probably going to go see this guy and this guy. And we reach out to a coach at that high school. I mean, that story we've been putting up, you would, that is probably the most labor-intensive story ever in the history of Bro. It's not like we got this little hotline that we just pick up and it tells us you know, wherever UCLA coach is at the moment. We don't have them on Find Friends on our phone. That would be great. I've tried. I've asked them if they want to do that. I went up to Deshaun Foster and said, hey, you want to you wanna exchange Find
0: Friends, you and me? <laughs> no, you, you actually walked up and you like, you want to be my friend?
1: <laughs> so that takes a lot of work on top of the next step is then who's going to get an offer. So that's having to check into the academics of all these kids. Um, just so much. So it takes, it's a, it's a lot of work. I just, not that I want y'all to appreciate it. I just want you to understand. Yeah. 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 I guess I
0: want, you want I'm you to, to, you want them to
1: appreciate it. it. Yeah. And just, and Patrick, you know, he just, Nose down to that recruiting grindstone, and he just goes at it. You know, He'll text me at 1130 and say, have you seen this guy?
0: <laughs> just, like
1: just, just like you. Just
0: like me. You yeah. see, you're just talking about me right now. Yeah, I'm
1: mixed up. I don't yeah. know who I'm
0: talking about. I, just, um, <laughs> I can't get over how much I love recruiting.
1: I'm going to probably uh, write a story for tomorrow because the 8th is Wednesday, correct? Yeah. Um, if I had to say, I would bet – Killian Zierer. I know you know how to I've never heard his name spoken. He's a offensive line prospect, JC prospect at College of the Canyons. He's not even ranked, Dave. Not ranked. 6'8, 290, and kind of skinny at 290. He was on UCLA's campus um, in April. Uh, Oregon just offered him. Justin Fry, UCLA's offensive line coach, has been out to see him at College of the Canyons, and I think. Paul Rhodes, that's his region. I think he's seen him. Um, I think he has good grades. I, I think my connection at College of the Canyons uh, told me that. I can't remember off the top of my head. I'll check it. But um, I think he might get an offer. Um, I, they could probably offer an offensive lineman, Aiden Finney from Chico. I know they've gone out to see him. See, we're using, like, who have they gone out to see? Um Oh, I know. They'll, uh, Levi Rogers, the offensive lineman from Wa- He's actually not from Washington. He's just recently there in Woodenville. He's from uh, the Boston area. Uh, he went to a Boston College prep. And there's, I think he was on the recruiting list of Fry, Coach Fry, when he was at Boston College, but they never physic or just hooked up anyway before that. Um, but I think he'll get an offer. I- I've been told that UCLA has pretty much hinted at him that he could get an offer. Uh, so we've mentioned all offensive linemen, right? Um, I'm hanging out for my guy Logan Loya, uh, the wide receiver from St. John Bosco. He is not your typical measurable guy, six foot one ninety, probably a four six five forty. But like Greg Biggin says, if you go out and ask. All the defensive backs, the elite defensive backs in Southern California, who is their hardest cover in their high school games or in, or in seven on seven? They'll say Logan Loya. He's just a crafty guy who's who's you know small area quick and has great hands, just really good body control, and he he doesn't jump out from a measurable standpoint. And I hope getting back to our measurable discussion that this is an instance where it doesn't eliminate, but it, what, how did, what did, how did you say it? That the measurable thing is, is inclusive rather than exclusive, I think is what you said, right?
0: Yeah. That the measurable thing is a filter in, not a filter out. So that's good stuff on eight clap eighth, that uh, wonderful tradition. We all know and love Uh, that the UCLA coaches instilled. Um, But we have other stuff to talk about as well. Um, UCLA is also in the market for a transfer quarterback. Uh, Colson Yankoff, uh, the Washington QB, uh, put his name into the transfer portal along with um, Jacob Sermon, another Washington quarterback. Uh, Sermon then pulled his name out. Yankoff is still in. uh, And UCLA is going to be among the options considered for him uh, Tracy, you had a piece earlier this week uh, talking about kind of, or actually late last week, talking about um, all of the kind of ramifications of taking a transfer quarterback. Um, now, you know, a few days later, where's your thinking now on in terms of taking Yankoff and whether it's a good idea to get a a mid mid uh, mid career transfer rather than a, a grad transfer?
1: Um, it was interesting because that that was kind of a. a you know, sometimes when you write something and you start off knowing what you're writing about and it ends up that way. And there's sometimes when you kind of literally don't even know where it's going to end up. That's how I started writing that. And then the more I wrote and thought about it, the more it convinced me that it's actually absolutely a win-win to take Yankov. Um, I can't necessarily see the downside. I mean, I know they're trying to build depth and I mean, the only downside is if he comes in and Dorian Thompson Robinson and Austin Burton both transfer out because then you've lost depth or he comes in and one of those two leave and he's not even nearly as good as one of those two. So you downgraded your talent level. But I think that is worth the risk of trying to build uh, some depth at quarterback and some talent at quarterback because... It's just right now that, you know, you need need an offensive line and a quarterback to win in college football. And, you know, I don't see it at UCLA's depth chart right now. Um, I didn't see it in spring. That position needs to really develop considerably for UCLA to win, to take the next step. And the more – potential talent you get there the more chance you have of finding that guy who's going to do it Uh, I don't know if that is Yankov but he has enough qualities like what we wrote today uh, taking a lot of Brandon's opinion on that he has enough qualities that I think he's he's absolutely worth taking and worth risking if maybe you lose one of the other guys so so I don't see much downside to it. Uh, Maybe there's something I'm not getting that there's some downside in there, but I'm not seeing anything particularly that would make me say, don't do it. From what I've heard, he's a great kid. Uh, He was that in high school as a, uh, when he was a prospect, he he showed like high integrity at Washington. Um, His family is originally from Southern California. So it would be a good fit that way.
0: Um, he also has a really good name, uh, Yankov. That's, yeah, that, that's I mean, fine. I'm going to go there for that. I mean, I had to. It's right there. It's a good name. It's, you know, Yankov. That's pretty good. OK,
1: OK, Let's just OK. Um, I think Mark Helfrich might have something to do with this, too. Um, he was the head coach at Oregon. He recruited uh, Yankoff, got a commitment from him. When he was let go, uh, that's when Yankoff flipped to Washington. Um, from what I know, Helfrich and the Yankoff family are still pretty close. And it, you got to think if there's, you know, <laughs> if Helfrich, Helfrich is, is steering him towards anyone, it would be towards Chip. Um So there's a lot going, there's a lot going on there. I don't know if that's actually happening. I'm just speculating. I've got my detective, you know, glasses on, but that seems to make a lot of sense. Um, So I could see it all. I could see it all happening. My opinion of Yankov when he was in high school, I thought he was a really good athlete. I didn't know about his arm. And then I did more research and looked at more film. And I was, I was happy with what I saw from his arm strength. So, and a really smart kid would be able to think the offense. I mean, Dave, do you see any downside here at all?
0: No downside, none whatsoever. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's great.
1: And then, and then there's the thing: if he's if he's immediately eligible or not. If he wins, you know, if the waiver's granted when he appeals. So, you know, let's say he is, then you've got a third guy who probably is playable who's going to compete for next season, which is which is great. Even if he's not. I mean, you got He's not going to transfer again. There's no way he's going to transfer twice and lose another year of eligibility uh, for transferring. So he's stuck at UCLA. Wherever he transfers next, he's he's pretty much stuck unless somehow he decides to do, go FCS. Um, so you've got you've got him. That's a great way to build good depth. He might be better than a second quarterback in to take in 2020 because that second quarterback. You know, is coming in with Parker McQuarrie, who's very good. And, you know, generally young quarterbacks on UCLA's roster, that guy would be a complete candidate, that second quarterback, unless he's elite, unless it's Bryce Young. But if it's someone else, he would be a candidate to probably transfer. And Yankoff isn't transferring if he, wherever he goes, if he goes to an FBS school. So a lot of little advantages there. I think.
0: Yeah, I think it makes a ton of sense uh for for <laughs> Yankoff to show up at UCLA. Yes.
1: And and it's going to uh, are let's say it happens, Dave, are you are you going to are you going to, you know, kind of set, you know, use that name for you know, what, 3 or 4 seasons? Just kind of
0: Oh yeah. I mean, I the, the I mean, obviously, you know, I I've got a a bias here because I I very much want to um, enjoy the Yankoff era.
1: Do you, want, do you want to just get a couple out of the way now or no?
0: Well, don't put me on the spot here. Okay. I can't just come up with it on the fly.
1: I mean, is that premature to do that? I was, I was the one trying to take the high road and I went low. That's just so sad. I'm going to have to go have a drink.
0: I mean, come on. It's a good name. He should be very proud of it. He's lived with it his entire life. There's no high road, no low road. We're just enjoying what is a good name.
1: He has probably a dozen comebacks that are just right there, that he's ready for them,
0: don't you think? Oh yeah, absolutely. He's got uh, basically every comeback known to man. All right, well, with no more yank off jokes, uh, that'll about do it for us here At uh, at Bruin Report Online. Uh, For Tracy Pearson, I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 247sports.com website. And we will talk to you again next time.